We're going to hop in today. I promise not to give you all one hour and a half of notes that I have here. You think I'm kidding. Marvin says do it anyway. So, hey, when the elder speaks, it's the way it is, okay? <laughs> as long as you got a point, you'll stay with it. Okay. Well, uh, for the month of June, excluding next Sunday with being Father's Day, and we're excited about Father's Day. It's going to be a great day. Make sure you're bringing your, your, your dads or dads bring your kids to be in service with you. Excluding that, we're going to spend the month of June talking about what happens when we engage the Word and what it builds in our lives, okay? What gets built through that. So the title of today's message is A Place for Your Name. Because when we engage God's Word, it builds a place for His name in our lives personally as well as our church corporately. And so we're going to look at this. But I want to start by saying, um, how many of you have ever wondered, you know, like the, the basketball, the NBA Finals just concluded, and um, there's great speculation on whether LeBron James is the greatest player of all time, the GOAT, okay? Um, whether you like it or not, Michael Jordan will forever be the GOAT of my generation and every generation forward, and I see lots of thumbs up and amens. From those of you who agree with me, uh, there are others in the, that disagree, and that's fine. We can, we can allow you to be wrong in your opinion, and that's okay. But after the championship game, you know what happens? Whenever they think it uh, goes in the championship, they make championship t-shirts that are one of a kind for both teams. Did you know that? Did you ever wonder what happened to the losing team? Like, what, what are they going to do with Cleveland shirts now? They send them to third world countries. That's right. It took some intense lobbying to make that happen because used to they went immediately to an incinerator and they were burned up to never be seen to remind the team of all of their misfortunes, right? So they send them to a foreign country. I can remember times being in Africa and all of a sudden you would see somebody walking around with a Utah Jazz shirt. It's like, really? Where did... Oh, it's the one they lost. Okay, it made sense, right? Or my, my friend Gary Nelson was in, uh, in Lusaka, Zambia back in 2016. This was before the betrayal of Kevin Durant when o Oklahoma, the Thunder, had a good chance, right? Um, we're, we're not bitter still, but he came across this. Check out this, this picture. It's an Oklahoma City Thunder shirt from a gentleman who didn't even know what basketball was. <laughs> He's more of, a, more of a football man, he said. He knew what soccer was, not American football, soccer, but football in Africa. More of a football man. That's in, that's in Zambia, wearing an Oklahoma City Thunder shirt, because it was sent there as a part of the, in the, the, part of the losing shirts from that year's conference championship, right? Back before, when KD was still in the good graces, but now he's a traitor. Anyway, that's a different story. Not bitter, promise. In many ways, that shirt is a constant reminder of a failure, right? That's what happens. It gets sent away. Well, the temple became the same thing. Okay? In 1 Kings chapter 8, we're going to look at the glory of the temple. But it was supposed to be this defining celebration, uh, uh, the expression of victory for the people and for God and for, for all that was accomplished. And yet what it becomes is this expression of, uh, uh, and a symbol of their utter failure in the process. So we're going to dig into this, but I want us to really see and appreciate the temple for what it was, because the temple that Solomon built was amazing. It was over the top, beautiful. Um, it, it was, uh, you can't even begin to imagine the money, right? In fact, God made Solomon really, really, really wealthy. Like we need about a hundred more reallys, and then we kind of get to the idea of how wealthy Solomon was, okay? So, so get this. The temple that, that was built was huge, okay? It took 150,000 laborers. More than eight years to build it. If we could get 150,000 workers to work on the road system here in Oklahoma, 
We could get it done in like, you know what, a couple of weeks? It's never going to happen. It's not Solomon, and we ain't got that kind of money, obviously, right? So here's Solomon. He employs 150,000 laborers for eight years to build it. Everything in the temple was layered with gold, right? Every single thing was layered with gold. According to First Chronicles, it says that Solomon used more than 4,000 tons of gold. And it says that he used more than 40,000 tons of silver. They mined it all. Where did it come from? They mined it all. Okay? In fact, one, one theologian says this. They estimate that uh, the cost would have, would have been, in today's dollars, it would have cost more than $160 trillion to build. That's more debt than the U.S. government has, okay? Like, let's put it in those, even more than that. Way more than that, okay? 80 times more debt than the America has incurred, okay? $160 trillion. One scholar says that the temple, the gold that was used, would have been about 4 to 5% of all of the gold that has ever been mined in the earth. Think about that. Four to five percent of all of the gold that's ever been mined was used to build God's house. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, just God didn't spare any cost. That doesn't even count the precious stones, right? The onyx and the rubies and the emeralds that were used on the walls and in the pillars. In other words, this thing had some serious bling power, okay? I mean, like, if the sun hit it just right, everybody was blinded. It was amazing at what they built under Solomon's leadership and under God's design. But the most awesome thing about it wasn't that it cost $160 trillion. The most awesome thing wasn't any of that. The most awesome thing about the entire temple was that God's presence dwelled there. It lived there. And it came down and it rested in this thick, luminescent cloud that was literally visible. In fact, we're going to read about it, okay? Uh, it was so thick that the priests had to leave the temple and couldn't even do their own jobs. So you flip to 1 Kings chapter 8. We're going to start in verse number 10. You're welcome to read along. In verse number 10, it says, When the priests came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Skipping on down to verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel. He lifted his hands toward heaven and he prayed. Now, we're going to pause right there. He, he prays a great prayer, has a lot of beautiful things in it. Um, and we're going to focus on just a few of them, okay? So we're going to skip down through several verses through the rest of this chapter to pull out the things we're going to talk about. Verse 29. He says, may you watch over this temple night and day, this place where you have said, my name will be there. May you always hear the prayers that I make toward this place. Verse 33, if your people Israel are defeated by their enemies because they have sinned against you, and if they turn to you and acknowledge your name and pray to you here in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive their sin, uh, the sin of your people Israel, and return them to this land and give, uh, that, that you gave their ancestors. And if the skies are shut up and there is no rain, down to verse 37, if there's famine in the land or if your people's enemies are in the land besieging their towns, whatever disaster or disease there is, and if your people Israel pray about their troubles, raising their hands toward this temple, pause right there, okay? If they pray this way, okay? If they pray about their troubles, which is better, this phrase is better translated to read this, being aware of the afflictions of their own heart, okay? 
So if, if they become aware of the afflictions of their own heart and they raise their hands toward the temple, the reason I'm highlighting that is because it really emphasizes the important parts here, right? Because it, afflictions means sinful tendencies. If they realize that they are uh, given to this tendency for sin, help them pray to you. Help them, Lord. Help them in this, okay? And, and the word there uh, uh, for knowledge, if they, if they become aware, it's this Hebrew word yada, which means to intimately know. Uh, it, it's kind of, it's, it's the same word that is in Genesis. It says, and Adam knew Eve and she had a child, okay? That's as PG-13 as we're going to get, okay? Y'all can figure it out. When you become that kind of aware, that's what he says. When they, not, not just, okay, I sin, but man, they, you know the tendencies that you have. Because let's, let's face it, let's be real. We, we all have some tendencies towards sin, right? I, I have a, we, we all, each of us have our own tendency in a particular area for sin. Some people, maybe it's gossip. I'm not looking at any, I'm looking at that wall right up there. I don't want any of you to feel like I'm pointing your way, okay? I'm not saying you're a gossip. I'm saying some people may have a tendency. Maybe that's just in Texas. I don't know. Have a tendency for gossip. Maybe just on TV shows. I'm not sure, but some people, maybe it's, that. So maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's your anger and your temper. and It really shows up in, on the road. You cut everybody off because they cut you off, and you tell them that Jesus is the way. You show them one finger to point that way. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's something entirely different, but there's, we have these tendencies, right? And we've got to get honest about them because what Solomon prayed here is just as true for us today. If we don't become intimately aware of where we fail and fall short, it's really hard to come to the Lord and say, God, help me where I blow it all the time. It's really hard to come and say, God, I am an arrogant sucker. Help me with this. Lord, I, I have a real problem with my, my racial tendencies because I really don't like those people. You can't get real honest with the Lord until you get real honest about where you're at. You'll never know what you need until you know what you're not. We've got to get honest before the Lord. And that's what Solomon's saying here. Because verse 39, it picks up with some beautiful verbiage. He says, then, then, after we've become, become completely gut level honest, then hear from heaven where you live. Not down here, but in heaven where you're at, hear us and forgive. The, the King James, I believe, says, and act. I love that our God acts, don't you? I, I love that when we pray, he forgives. He acts on our prayers. He takes those prayers that we've reached out to him by faith, and he says, I can do something with that. Act. Give your people what their actions deserve, for you alone know each human heart. You know them, verse 41, in the future foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you. They will come from distant lands because of your name, because of your name. For they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And, and when they pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven. Uh, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask for. And in this way, all of the people of the earth will come to know you and fear you just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple that I have built honors your name. 
Verse 54, when Solomon finished making these prayers and petitions, he stood up in front of the altar where he had been kneeling with his hands raised toward heaven. He stood and in a loud voice blessed the entire congregation. Praise the Lord who gives rest to his people just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all of the wonderful promises that he gave to his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor abandon us. May he give us the desire to do his will in everything and to obey his commands, decrees, and regulations that he gave our ancestors. Look at that again. May he give us the desire to do. You know what Paul said? That grace acts in us to do and to will according to his good pleasure. So Solomon prayed, God, let your grace empower your people. Give them the desire to do your will. It's the same, guys. It's the same. Old and new. It's the same. It works together. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices to the Lord And if you add it up, verse 63, it's 142,000 animals that were sacrificed. Now, this prayer to me expresses what the temple was supposed to be about. A place of refuge, right? A place that we could come and we could find uh, refuge from our, 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 our weary life that gets thrown at us. Anybody felt like life's thrown an unfair amount at you lately? Anybody? Anybody been there? It seems like you can turn around and you can't move without being hit by something life's thrown at you. This is what is supposed to be in our relationship with God, a place where we find refuge. When we come to church together with other believers and we call on the name of the Lord, it's supposed to be a place of refuge where we find that God hears us. This was the height of Israel's glory. Sadly, Israel didn't stay there and Solomon sure didn't. For somebody who was the wisest man in the world, he sure did foolish things. Marrying 700 women. I mean, that's just nuts, right? Worse than that, he built every one of these exotic foreign wives that he took, their own temple to worship their own gods where they came from, and eventually he worshiped them too. So not only did he get married 700 times, which is just absolutely mind-blowing, but he also worshiped their gods and completely walked away from what God had done with them in the prayer that he prayed. Now, sometimes... The bales that they, they built these temples to worship, you know, we think, well, we don't do that. We don't, we, we don't you know, sit here in church and, and, and pop out a, a false god here and pray to it, our pocket-sized god and, and sneak a prayer to it during church. We, don't, we think that's not us. We don't do that. But may, maybe we do. Because in those days, it was more than just religion. These other gods, it was praying for good favor and all of that, Right? False gods in this time of the world were called Baals, and they had a Baal for everything, kind of like the Greeks had a god for everything, okay? It's that same thought process, okay? So they had uh, uh, the Baal of fertility, okay? They had a Baal for good health. Um, Each career field had its own god. They had a a Baal for rain. (laughs) Like, instead of Baal and water, I just always found that funny, right? They had a god for rain, all right? And they prayed that they would need to bail the water out, but it didn't always happen that way because it's that part of the world. But they had a God for all of that. We sometimes have a tendency to do that too, right? Sometimes it sounds a little different in our world. It sounds, sounds more like, Lord, please let the Sooners win. I can't come to church on Sunday because the Cowboys are playing at noon, and I've got to be ready to watch the Cowboys play. I can't, Lord, I, I, I can't not take that job, even though it's going to pay a little bit more money and it's going to take me out of church, I've got, I got to take that job because I need, never mind that God may have a blessing for you that's bigger than that on the other side of it. I mean, come on. We, we have pocket-sized gods all over the place that we, we get out at our own time and our own pleasure whenever we want to and we pray for that. We pray for everything. We, we, we need a, 
uh, we need God to help, but we don't really go to, to God. See, the thing is, is that, that in all of the gods that they had, uh, as Solomon brought them in, what he did was he created a choice for the people that was never supposed to be there. They could choose to do it God's way, or they could choose to do it like everybody else around them. The problem is, when we choose to do it like everybody else, we get the same results as everybody else. We got to do it God's way. We've got to do it the way he prescribed and cling to that. So, so here's the deal. At one point, Ezekiel gives this vision of, of God's glory leaving the temple. And I always found it interesting, okay? And I want to I read this because I want you to get this. In Ezekiel chapter number 10, we see the vision that he had of God's glory leaving the temple. And when I read this, I think this is it. They're done. Now, thank God the book doesn't end in Ezekiel. Okay, it goes on to Revelation, so we know God wins. But this happens. And I want to explain this to you for a specific purpose you'll see on the other side. Verse 4 says, Then the glory of God rose above the cherubim and went out over the entrance of the temple, and the temple was filled uh, with, with this cloud of glory, and the courtyard glowed brightly with the glory of the Lord. Verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord moved out from the entrance of the temple, and it hovered over the cherubim. And as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate to the Lord's temple, and the glory of the, uh, the God of Israel hovered above them. Verse 23, then the glory of the Lord went up from the city and stopped above the mountain to the east. Now, the first time that I read that ever in my life, I thought, okay, I don't know what he's seeing there because I didn't get it. After I've studied it and heard others talk about it and studied it, I went, oh, that makes a lot more sense. It's God's glory departing, and this all happens uh, after the, the tribes are taken into captivity and uh, the Babylonians and the Assyrians take and capture all of them. God's glory departs. But the specifics, why did he get so specific? Well, it's, again, it's foreshadowing of something else that's going to take place, right? Because God was determined to bring salvation to the human race. Through the unconditional promises that he made to Abraham and he made to David, uh, even in Israel's failures, wasn't going to stop him from fulfilling his promise. So the Gospel of Luke reintroduces the same thing, but in reverse order. Let me show you, okay? Because it, what it tells us is it tells us about Jesus' final ride into Jerusalem. He and his disciples, they go up on the same mountain that Ezekiel says the glory of the Lord goes out and hovers over. They go up to that mountain on a donkey and ride right back down into Israel. There's no, no reason to go up there other than to fulfill this prophecy of him coming back. So he goes up on the same mountain that God's glory departed from and he comes in from that same area. He rides down into Israel. He goes through the exact same gate that God's glory departed. He goes back through the same spot through the east gate, which is where Ezekiel saw God's glory depart. He rode straight into the temple where he took out a, wh a whip and he cleanses the temple, right? He drives them all out and says, this, my house will be a house of prayer, right? That's what this whole thing is supposed to be about. He drives them out, and it was an area called the courtyard of the temples where he drove them out. So Luke 19, 46, he says to them, the scripture declares, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. This was supposed to be a place where foreigners from other nations came, and they found hope in God, but instead you have turned it into a place to make money for yourselves. 
Jesus takes out a whip, he cleanses them, he restores it to its original purpose, and he says, I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. 142,000 animals could never accomplish what I'm about to accomplish. I've gone up to the, to the mountain, I've come back down, I'm going to be the saving grace of the world, and what none of that could do, I'm about to do because that's who I am. And he sets up the temple again to be his place of glory, his place of power, his place of prayer, so that every Everyone who comes into it can find it to be a place of healing, a place of salvation, a place to experience refreshing and to experience who he is. That's what happens when we engage God's word is we create a place for his name, not only in our own hearts, but here in his church. That's what this is all about. We're going to establish a great place for his name. A beautiful temple could not accomplish what the beautiful person Jesus did. Anybody that comes to him from any nation, when they come by faith for forgiveness and for healing, they will receive it. Amen? That's, that's the beauty of the promise. And those who come to God through his name and prayer, God will hear. So we're supposed to take all of these promises that Solomon gave about God's temple and apply them to ourselves and when we pray in Jesus' name. Because after all, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all of God's promises are yes and amen. So what does that look like? I told you, hour and a half, y'all, come on, hang with me. I'm going to give you the next 45 minutes and five, okay? So hang with me, all right? There's three things I want us to see about God. Number one, he answers prayer. God answers prayer. <laughs> Some people over here get it. Let me start over here. I want to let you in on a secret, okay? God answers prayer. Yeah. God answers prayer. Amen. We're getting there. God answers prayer. I, I don't know what you're praying and believing for. But Solomon spent an exorbitant amount of time demonstrating that when we come and turn our hearts to God, not about a temple, when we turn our hearts to God, he answers our prayers. I don't know what you're facing, what you need God to do in your life. I don't know what healing you need physically or relationally or mentally or from your sin, but God answers prayer. I don't know about that long-lost loved one that has wandered away from his grace and is a prodigal son that hasn't come home yet, but let me tell you, God answers prayer. Either we believe it or we don't. God answers prayer. To my dying breath, I'm going to believe that God answers prayer. Sometimes in his silence, he has still answered my prayer. Sometimes in not letting you win the lottery, he answered your prayer. <laughs> oh, but wait, preacher, if God would give me what I asked for. No, 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 no. You, you, you know what Hayes likes to do? We're on vacation, and I look over as all of a sudden, there in our room, every light goes out like that. I looked over, and he has the phone charger shoving the other end into a different plug-in. Daddy, it's fun. 
That's like saying, God, let me win the lottery. My life would be so much better. No, because then you might forget you ever needed God in the first place. <laughs> I know I'm stepping on your toes because we all want to be rich, right? Proverbs said it well. Lord, don't give me too much that I forget your name. Trust God to be enough. He answers your prayers. Even when we don't like it, he still answers your prayers. It seems like a Sunday school answer, but it's so true. And in the promises he listed there, and I don't have time to go back through them all, Jesus echoes the same things when he says he repeats the promises in the answers form, right? In Matthew 7, 11, uh, uh, not 7, 11 like the grocery store, but like, like the prayer. Uh, he says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you, right? Well, it correlates to the promises that Solomon prayed. Lord, when we come and we ask and we seek you, Lord, hear us, right? In Matthew 21, 22, in all, things, all, all, in all things you ask in prayer, believing you'll receive. Solomon said, hey, when you come and you pray, believe that God's going to do it. When we turn to you, believe that God will. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When was the last time we asked God to glorify himself even in the prayers that we didn't like him, uh, the answers that he gave us, right? Sometimes it's not about what we want, it's about what's best for you. Either he's a good heavenly father or he's not. Trust him. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace believing he'll hear us. He responds to our faith because he answers our prayer. Second thing, and Fran, I'm skipping like three pages there, okay? The second thing, not only does he answer prayer, but God gave us a choice. See, when we're faced with critical needs, we can turn to the Baals, our false gods around us. Well, Lord, I know I need money, and maybe you'll help me win the lottery. Or we can turn to God. God, you are the supplier. You're the source. We have two choices there, right? We can trust in prayer or turn to an idol. You're still going to face needs in our life. Those... uh, that's the thing that stinks about being an adult. Can I just say that? You know what my kids never once said on vacation? Hey, Daddy, we don't have the money to do that. You know why? Because it's not their job to worry about it. Is it? You know what my kid's job is? To be a kid. And to trust their, their mom and dad to supply their needs. They never came and said, hey, we want to make you dinner tonight. Dad, can I start the grill? I'd like to cook the steak. (laughs) Never happens, does it? Sometimes I get, hey, can I help? No, you'll blow the place up. No. (laughs) Same thing. Come to God. Trust that he's got it. Trust that he knows that he's going to do it. Turn to him and not to some false idol, some false finish line. We've got to learn to trust in him. And the third thing, God gave us a voice. I am skipping so many good things here. God gave us a voice. You know what's really important? Testifying about answered prayers. Testifying. Telling people that Jesus answered your prayers. Telling them that you trust him to answer the prayers that you haven't seen an answer to yet. The ones you're still waiting, wondering if that promise is going to be true. Are they really going to come home? Is healing really going to be yours? The one that you're waiting on Jesus to do, tell them you're waiting on him. You're trusting him. And that by faith you have seen it come to pass. Trust him. 
Trust him. He is. He is an answering prayer, God. See, throughout the Bible, God presents this beautiful, beautiful illustration of answered prayers being critical in our witness. Moses told the children of Israel that the thing that would make them unique in all of the world would be answered prayers in Deuteronomy 4.7. You know what's different about us and everybody else? God answers prayer. You know, you, you know what he doesn't do? Leave you hanging. Because even when you feel like you've been left hanging, he's still working. It's a process. Answered prayer is what's supposed to make us unique. You know what's not supposed to make us unique? Good music. Good preaching. Killer lighting. Great video. You know what's supposed to make us unique? The fact that when we come and we pray, God hears us and he answers prayers. Come on. Do you need God to answer your prayer today? Do you need God to do that? See, when we engage his word and believe his promises, he gives us answers to our prayers. He gives us a choice to choose to follow him and trust him or, or to turn to somebody else because he loves us and gave us a choice. But when he answers our prayers, he gave us a voice and we've got to use them. You've got to use them. Every head bowed and every eye closed across this room today. Maybe you're saying, preacher, not sure I've ever trusted God for my salvation because I'm just not sure he really gets it. I'm not sure he understands what I go through, where I'm at, what I've been through. Today, I want you to hear me say, he hears you. But if you've allowed sin to separate you from him, then today's the day to come on home. So if that's you, if you've allowed sin to separate you from God, I want you to slip up a hand if today you want to make that right and you want to repent. You want to come under the covering of his grace. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? I'm looking from, from your right to my, my left. There you go. Okay. Who else? Come on. I'm just working my way across the room. All right, I got you. Who else? Come on. Anybody else? You, today you want to trust Jesus. Friends, we had hands go up. That means people are coming home to Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want everybody to repeat this prayer. And the Bible says, if you believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. So today, I want you to do that. Repeat after me, everybody across the room. Dear Jesus, I ask you today, forgive me of my sins. Bring me home so that I can follow you every day. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. And I confess that you are the Lord of my life. Help me every day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now friends, if you prayed that, whether you raised your hand or not, the Bible says you're saved. Believe it in your heart. But now you've got to put it into motion. You've got to put it into action. You've got to get involved in, in, in a discipleship process, whether that's on uh, Sunday morning, Sunday school at 9 a.m. with Nina down here in class, or whether that's a Wednesday night and the Bible studies and small groups that we offer. You've got to get involved and learn to grow in that. You've got to get plugged in. Here's where the rubber meets the road today for the rest of us. Man, maybe you're here today. And you say, I just need somebody to agree with me in prayer. I believe God answers prayer. I'm just struggling through. Not seeing my prayers answered. Today we want to agree with you. Because the Bible says that if you come together as two or three touching and believing, 
whatsoever you ask for, that I will give you. Either it's true or it's not, amen? Today's the day. So in just a moment, we're going to ask you to stand all across the room. The worship team is going to continue to lead us in one more worship song. Our elders are going to come make their way up here around these altars. Our prayer team is going to be here. If you need prayer for any reason, doctor's appointment, anything, we want to agree with you. So right now, elders, if you'd make your way as everybody stands all across the room. Everybody, please stand. Just makes it a little easier to get out. They're going to begin to lead us in one more song because there's never going to be anyone like him. Amen. So as, as we conclude our service in this time of worship, if you need prayer, we want you to make your way and come down and let us agree with you that God will do what only God can do. Amen. Amen.